0: Good evening and welcome to Jess FM 105.9, KCAL is on the air. I'm Doug Fain along with you, and it is time once again for a performance by the KCAL Old-Time Radio Troupe. Now, as you may know, the last Sunday night of every month, we get together and we produce an old-time radio show exclusively for Jess FM listeners. And it's that time again. We've got a great one tonight. Now, I want to remind you that the programs you hear us perform here on the radio, you will not see us perform live at our quarterly shows at the Paul Vino Art Center for the Creative Art League of Jessamine County. And conversely, the programs you see down there, you won't hear here. So you'll have to do both if you want to see the full effect of what we do. All right, let's get on with our program. Tonight's broadcast is one that many people may have read in high school. It's called The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. It was first published in September 18th. 1839 in Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. It was slightly revised in 1840 for the collection Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque. It contains within it Poe's poem The Haunted Palace, which had earlier been published separately in an April 1839 issue of the Baltimore Museum Magazine. Tonight on KCAL Old Time Radio Show, we're going to reproduce our version of The Fall of the House of Usher, starring in tonight's program as Roderick. Usher is Norman Klein, I play the narrator, and David Damron will be your announcer and the physician. And we'll try to replicate this program to sound just like it might have on old-time radio back in the 40s, including the way it comes across your radio. So sit back and enjoy KCAL Old-Time Radio Troops' version of The Fall of the House of Usher by Egner Allan Poe, exclusively on Jess FM 105.
1: Are you upset with today's headlines? Worried about the high cost of living? Want to get away from it all? CBS offers you escape. You are the friend of a man living in death, confidant of a ghoul, witness to a nameless terror. You are a guest in the house of Usher. Tonight, we escape to a gloom-shrouded moor, and a house where dread holds sway, as Edgar Allan Poe recounted in his famous story, The Fall of the House of Usher. It is with some regret, but I believe advisable, that I identify myself only as a friend of Roderick Usher, certainly the last and perhaps the only friend of that unhappy man. Having only one sister, he was the last male descendant of the ancient house of Usher. Roderick had been one of my boon companions in boyhood, but many years had elapsed since our last meeting. And so, as I held his letter in my hand, not yet opening it, I reflected with no little sadness upon the devious fates that chart our courses and drive old friends away from one another. But then a sudden feverish and nostalgic curiosity laid hold of me, and with fingers made clumsy by their eagerness, I tore open the letter, and I read... My dear
2: friend, my need of you has so far outgrown my pride that I'm going to request a favor which I realize full well may involve considerable inconvenience to yourself. For some time past, I have been suffering from an acute bodily illness, illness intensified by serious mental oppression, if I may so call it, a horror which looms over me. A horror grown so great, I dare no longer face it alone. And so, in all humility, and for the sake of years gone by, I beseech you to come to me at once, here to the family estate in the North. Should events conspire to prevent your coming, then only God may know the consequence. Your friend in desperation, Roderick Usher.
1: So it happened at the end of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the middle of October that I found myself as the shades of evening drew on within view of the grim and melancholy House of Usher. Now I confess that the first sight of the house the fungus-covered walls of stone thrusting their crumbling ramparts against the darkening sky rising out of the sullen, sluggish waters of the black tarn at their base, the bleak and vacant windows staring blindly, the bone-white trunks of decaying trees. These things filled me with a nameless and desolate tear so that I reined in my horse and sat trembling, half-fearing to cross the wooden bridge that led over the waters of the moat and up to the entrance of the house of Usher. Then, impatiently, I shook off the strange feeling of dread. And was, an instant later, clattering over a wooden bridge and onto the courtyard. I dismounted quickly, tossed my reins to the silent lackey who approached, strode across the gravel and up to the massive wooden portal. The door of the House of Usher.
2: the friend of Master Roderick. Please come inside, sir. Uh, thank you, thank you. But, uh, may I inquire how
1: it happens that you know me? You've been expected for some time, sir. That's very true, yes, but, uh, but also I'm a stranger to you, and I could be some other
2: visitor. That you could be anyone other than the friend whom Master Roderick expects, sir, would be impossible. You see, no one else would ever
1: come to this house. <laughs> Then I followed his stealthy footsteps through many dark and intricate passages. My earlier foreboding heightened and was made fearful by the somber aspect of the hallways which we passed, the many unused rooms reaching out with their vast emptiness like some hideous jungle creeper. But at length, we stood before the door of the master studio. There, the servant left me, departed, and left me to go in alone. The man across the room, half reclining on the couch, his back turned toward me, did not hear the opening of the door. For the space of several heartbeats, I saw only the deathly pale and ghastly sunken features of a stranger. Then... Only with difficulty could I recognize, behind that mask, my boyhood friend. Surely under light of heaven, no man has ever before been so terribly altered in so brief a time as had Roderick Usher.
2: Oh, oh, my friend, my friend, you've come at last.
1: Thank God you did come. Oh, Roderick, did you not know I would? Could you not be sure that no long years would ever dim the friendship we shared in youth?
2: Mm, so many things have dimmed.
1: Ha <laughs> youth. It seems
2: so long ago. But now you're here and we'll find it. Relive it all over again. Every glorious moment of it. And all these shadows, all these gibbering phantoms that haunt me, they'll be driven out and the sun will shine again, and we'll be young again, and we'll... Roderick! Oh, but but forgive me, my my friend. My excessive joy at the sight of you after so many years drives me into a frenzy of talk. How many years has it? uh uh-huh, no matter. It, it is enough that you are here. Here and brought with you all the lost, all the happy
1: days of my boyhood. Mm, but I'd, uh... I'd expected from your letter to find you in serious straits indeed. Instead, you seem in the best of spirits. You have the right to know.
2: But in all frankness, uh, here in your presence, I find it difficult to credit important or those things which only yesterday filled me with terror. Uh, True, I've been ill. A nervous affliction, something in the nature of a family weakness, probably. It has affected me with a morbid acuteness of the senses such that, quite often, the least sounds and odors and colors become irritating beyond endurance.
1: I've eaten but little, as you can see. Yes, but surely you've retained the services of a physician. A physician?
2: (laughs) Oh, yes, of course. He calls almost daily, though it is more often Madeline that he attends. You remember my twin sister, Madeline. For her, I fear more greatly than for myself. Even today, she's taken to her bed, and I have no doubt will never rise from it again. Oh, what tragedy. The sympathies of my heart go out to you. Oh, but but leave it for the present. Uh, Leave it to dream of all those happy days we left so far behind everything will be different now that you're here do you remember when we were but 12
1: but the happy forgetfulness which roderick found in my coming was short-lived and in a few days he had sunk into a morose torpor from which only occasionally, with frantic difficulty, could he reach the joy of our first few hours of meeting. More often, his mental apathy was broken by bursts of vicious temper and violent ill-humor. This guy I could only excuse on the basis of his illness, and that illness began, in my mind, to assume a most mysterious character. Able to divine its true nature from Roderick's hesitant offerings, I took the liberty of questioning the physician a few days later, when I chanced to encounter him in the hallway. Yes, yes, she's resting as well as might be expected. But she continues to decline? Is that not correct, Doctor? That would seem to be the case. And, uh... The malady the the illness which has stricken her is it the same that which affects her brother Roderick, I may venture that it is doctor. may I inquire the nature of this illness as to that, I am unable to say, so you imply then that I have no right to this information, not at all. I am confessing to you quite simply, sir, I do not know what afflicts Madeline and Roderick Usher. And so a week passed, a week in which the sullen leaden skies darkened into deeper oppressiveness, in which Roderick's deathly pallor and creeping mental dissolution grew more apparent A week in which the monstrous atmosphere of this ancient mausoleum began to crawl insidiously within my own consciousness, stirring into life a formless, unknown dread. Then one evening we were sitting in the vaulted studio while the first shadows of night began to flow together into pools of darkness. Roderick had been unusually troubled during the day and trying to find some solace by playing on the violin. And then all of a sudden, there came a knock upon the door.
2: Stop it! Stop that infernal pounding! Do you hear? Do you wish to drive me completely mad? Open the door and come in! Come in!
1: It's the doctor. Well, what is it? What do you want? Master Usher, I regret that I must say this. But it's my sad duty to inform you that your sister Madeline is no longer living. Madeline? My sister? Then she's dead? She breathes no more. Dead?
2: (laughs) And perhaps, my dear doctor, you can tell me what caused her death.
1: Unfortunately, I can only take refuge in the term... Heart failure. Heart failure?
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, of course. Very well, Doctor. If you will be kind enough to wait, I'll come down directly and discuss the arrangements.
1: At your service. I bid you good afternoon, gentlemen. Roderick, I assure you of my deepest sympathy. You do.
2: Your deepest sympathy... The doctor regrets his sad duty. Are you fools, Are both of you fools? I, I don't understand. Haven't you seen it yet? Can you not feel it about you? The horrid, monstrous, brooding spirit of this accursed house. Can't you hear its evil laughter as it lurks in the hallways and grows fat upon the soul of my dead, <laughs> uh, Roderick, Roderick? <laughs> Can't you see that it matters nothing to me that she is dead? that I myself walk but a few steps behind her into the same shadows of hell. Can't you sense those hideous tentacles even now reaching out for me? For me! Oh, now the last living, if it be living, the last living descendant of the accursed house of Usher.
1: Madeline Usher, once living, now dead, and her death, untimely in its aspects, bore to my trembling soul a portent of events, yet more hideous and more horrible, and yet to come. At a later hour of the same sad night, Roderick came into my chamber to voice an intention so morbidly unnatural that, for the moment, I could only feel that his tottering reason had at last failed him entirely. You refuse? But, 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 Roderick, this is madness. I tell
2: you, before this night is over, the coffin body of my sister shall rest in the vault beneath this house, and if you will not help me, I shall do it myself. But why? Why? I could not stand to think of her buried out there in the dark graveyard, alone, among the dead. But, Roderick, she, too, is dead. It's fantastic how little we know of death or of life, the doctor says she no longer breathes.
1: She is dead.
2: She was so lovely and was my sister. Roderick, I, I
1: must keep Madeline near me. Nothing but evil could come from such an act. I can trust no one but you. Not even the physician himself.
2: He hates us because he can't discover what it is that kills us.
1: Even he might steal the body of my beloved sister and he might learn our secret. Roderick, yes, I understand. And so it came about near midnight. We two alone made our way to an upper chamber of the house, and taking the black coffin between us and the shuddering light of candles. We walked the torturous passageways, slowly descending the curving stairs of stone, past beneath ...the moldy level of earth... ...forced open the massive and aged rusted door of iron... ...and stood at last with our ghastly burden... ...in a subterranean, dank and musty crypt... ...beneath the house of Usher.
2: Over here, my friend, on these trestles. Now a trifle higher with the head... (coughs) ...there... Oh, may you sleep in peace and dreams, sweet sister, from I who tread the same path soft behind you. Come now, Roderick. The uh, the thing is done. Oh, wait. Stay a moment. Uh, we've not yet to fix the coffin lid. See? Mm-hmm. I've left it loose so it can be turned no, back. No, no. I, I beg you. I'll ask farewell no more. Look. Is she not beautiful? Yes, yes, she she was very beautiful. Was? Yes, yes, of course. The look of her confused me. But do you not see it, too? The warm glow of the cheeks, the eyes shut softly, those lips half-parted. Does it not seem that she may rise up and speak to us at any moment? Yes, sir. Gruesome place inspires these morbid fancies. <laughs> morbid fancies? Uh, but now dead, she seems to live, and living seems already dead. Man, you seek out madness. You court it with your very thoughts. And if I do, what matters? What value can there be in reason without the hope of life? Dead, you say to me, she is dead? Then what certainty will not, with equal reason, say instead she lives, and that I. I, the last of Usher, am the one who is already dead.
1: I prevailed upon my friend at last to leave that mournful place, and so, with grim finality, we secured the open lid, picked up our flickering candles, and departed from the crypt. Leaving it alone with its darkness and wondrous portal closed behind us. And then my soul, for one brief instant, felt the dread and the awful meaning of eternity. There followed then a week of such dreary gloom and melancholy... ...that my own spirit quavered at the menace of the nameless thing and shadowed in that house. By perceptible degrees, a living soul of Roderick Usher flickered lower... More ghastly grew his pallor, more tremulous the extremity of his chair. The eighth day following the death of Lady Madeline fell upon the last day of grim and gray October and brought with it, as the curtains of night descended, the fitful breath of a rising tempest. Uneasy gust of sodden rain and the sound of sullen, thunderous rumbles, born of the dim flares of sheet lightning somewhere behind the lowering squall. I retired at a late hour, but found sleep, well, impossible. At length, overpowered by some strange presentiment of evil, I found my reposeful inaction no longer endurable, and so I rose... ...threw on my clothes in haste and fell to pacing the floor of my darkened chamber. Then, in one instant, a soft sound. (laughs) From the blackness froze my steps in paralysis of terror. The latch of my chamber door was being lifted from without. Who is it? Who is it, I say? It is I, Roderick. Oh, Oh, Roderick. What are you doing up and about at this hour in in pitch blackness? Wait, wait, let me light the candles. No,
2: I'm quite used to darkness. I heard your footsteps and knew you must be awake even as I was. But... Can it be that you have not seen it? I don't understand you. I, I've seen nothing. Then stay. You shall see it, even as I've seen it for these past two hours. Wait, wait. I'll throw open the casement window. There. Look.
1: It was indeed a tempestuous but sternly beautiful night, and one wildly singular in its. of the clouds, which hung so low as to press upon the turrets of the house, did not prevent our perceiving the velocity in which they flew careening from all points against one another. We had no glimpse of the moon or stars, but terrible to behold the undersurfaces of the huge cloud masses, as well as all terrestrial objects immediately around us. They were glowing in the unnatural light of a faintly luminous and clearly visible phosphorescence, which hung like a shroud, about the mansion itself.
2: See, my friend, tonight the thing grows bold, gathers strength from the storm,
1: and from the dead souls Eden. No, no, Roderick, you must not look at this. Here, I shall close this window and pull these curtains. And now, candlelight such darkness is the very mother of evil fear there now come sit here and suppose I read aloud from one book or another as you wish uh, I presume it matters little which ah here here is a volume of mad tryst by canning uh, will it serve as you said it matters little I've always found the scene to be quite entertaining, wherein Ethelred dreams of fighting a dragon. Now, let's see. Uh, Oh, yes, yes, here it is. Uh, And so Ethelred waited no longer to hold parley with the hermit who mocked him from inside the hut, but feeling the rain upon his back and fearing the rising of the tempest, uplifted his axe and quickly made a hole in the plankings of the door for his gauntlet hand. And now, pulling sturdily, he so cracked and ripped all asunder that the noise of the dry and hollow-sounding wood alarmed and reverberated throughout the forest. Why do you stop? Why, uh, that's, uh, strange. I, I fancy I just heard the very sound that I read about.
2: Let us say it was caused by the storm, pray continue. Oh, yes,
1: yes, the storm, of course. But but Ethelred, upon entering the door, was was amazed to perceive no sign of the evil hermit. But instead, a dragon of prodigious and scaly demeanor was set on guard before a shield of shining brass, and Ethelred uplifted his axe. "...and struck the head of the dragon, which fell before him with a shriek so horrid and harsh..." "...like where was never before..." What, "...what was that sound?" "...sound? Uh,
2: the shriek of a dragon, my friend. Read on." "...I... Uh,
1: very well..." "...and now the champion, bethinking himself of the shield of brass, approached across the silver floor to where the shield hung on the wall..." But the shield, not waiting for his coming, loosed and fell upon the silver floor. With a mighty great... Roderick, I tell you, something moves within this house. That sound, it reverberated through these very walls. Can you tell me that you did not hear it?
2: Hear it now? Oh, yes, I hear it and have heard it long moments, hours, many days have I heard it. Yet I dared not speak. But why? Why? Do you not know we put her living in the tomb? I tell you now I heard her first feeble movements in the coffin many, many days ago, and I felt that it mattered little, but now she comes to upbraid me for my haste. And that last dread sound, yes, I heard it, the opening of the metal door to the crypt beneath the house, and now she comes here. Have I not heard her footsteps on the stair? Do I not distinguish the heavy and horrible beating of her heart? Madman that I am, I, I tell you that she now stands without that door. But even now, she opens it.
1: There, in the flickering light of candles in the gloom and curtained doorway, stood the shrouded body of Lady Madeline. And for one shuddering instant, she swayed there. And then as Roderick uttered a single, piteous cry, upon him in violent and now final death agonies and bore him to the floor a corpse from that chamber and from that mansion I fled aghast out the massive portal over the causeway into the night and suddenly there shot among the path a wild light I looked back in heightened terror for the vast house and its shadows were alone behind me the baleful gleam came from the setting full and red blood moon, which now shone vividly through the widening crack in the walls of the house itself. And even as I gazed, this fissure opened rapidly, and there came a fierce breath of the tempest. The entire lunar orb burst at once upon my sight, and my brain reeled as I saw the mighty walls rushing asunder. And there came a long, tumultuous shouting sound, like the voice of a thousand waters. And the dark, deep tarn at my feet, closed sullenly and silently forever over the pitiful ruins of the ancient House of Usher. Tonight brought to you The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: And there you have The Fall of the House of Usher, as performed by the KCAL Old Time Radio Troupe. Starring in tonight's program, Norman Klein as Roderick Usher, Doug Fain as the narrator, and David Damron as the announcer and the physician. Well, we'll do it again next month, the last Sunday night of every month we produce these shows, coming up on March the 26th. Also want to remind you, KCAL's next live performance in downtown Nicholasville at the Paul. Vino Arts Center will be April 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And tickets are available. If you'd like to purchase those, call our box office at 859-885-5363. Come down and see one of the shows. We'd love to show you what it looked like if you were to walk into an old-time radio studio and see the way that they used to do it way back when. We appreciate you coming in and joining us each last Sunday night of the month, and we hope that you will come back and see us again on March 26th. For the entire KCAO Old Time Radio Truth, this is Doug Fain on Jess FM 105.9.